You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Take your scriptures, find a Bible either in a chair in front of you or your own that you have with us, with you. If you don't have one, we have extras around. Please take one uh, with you. If you need a Bible, we want you to have a Bible for you to read, um, even on your own. Not that this is the the only feeding you get in a, in a week, that you would be students of God's Word. And so I encourage you to find one if you need one. Take one with you. Um, head to the book of Judges, chapter 3, verses 7 through 11 is where we're going to be. Lincoln did the picture this week. I don't think he's here today, is he? Lincoln missed it. You can tell Lincoln he missed it. This was his picture from last week. Last week we were looking at just these nations and the... the over, once again, the testing of Israel. We talked about the testing that reveals our heart and the testing that brings us back to the Lord. Uh, Lincoln did this. I think the question up top is, Mom, is this a good test? I think it says faith test. We're going to go with that. It might be math test. I think it's faith test. Lincoln, I, I don't know if that's like a minus F or an F or a Z minus something. It's just scribbled. Is this okay, Mom? And I think Mom is answering there. No, it's not okay. The failed test. And so Lincoln caught the picture before. I think I'd asked, does anybody like tests? He must have written that maybe before. I hate tests. You know, we talked about that. But I'm appreciative of all these pictures that come in and his alone, his as well. The testing. and brings us back to see that from last week. And now we head into verse 7. This first kind of portrait of, a, of an actual kind of this, this case. And we'll, we'll look at that in a little bit here. So, Let's read, let's first read God's word. Let that be one of the first things we hear. So hopefully you found Judges chapter 3, verse 7, and I'll read the section here through verse 11. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asherah. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he sold them into the hand of Cushan Rishathayim, king of Mesopotamia. And the people of Israel served Cushan Rishathayim eight years. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the people of Israel who saved them Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. The Spirit of the Lord was upon him, and he judged Israel. He went out to war, and the Lord gave Cushan Rishathayim, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand. And his hand prevailed over Cushan Rishathayim. So the land had rest forty years. Then Othniel, the son of Canaz, died. Let's pray again. You are worthy of our worship, Lord. We see that throughout Scripture, creating us for Your glory. Lord, this week where we have lived for our own glory and for our own self, would You forgive us? For our sins are many. And as the song says, Your mercy is more. Lord, I preach today only because of Jesus Christ. We listen today. We open Your Word We can only hear from Almighty God because of Jesus Christ, 
the risen Savior who brings us from death to life. May you be exalted today, even in this Word, even as we look back Old Testament, years ago, may we see Christ. So guide us, guide our time, guide our minds, reveal by Your Spirit what we are to hear for each of our hearts as we, as we listen and worship and proceed to live this out in the world around us. We ask for Your blessing on this time. In Jesus' name, Amen. It's not going to surprise you that by this time in Judges, where we've been for a good portion of time now, to point out there are cycles of the writing here in this book. The different narratives, the stories, accounts, call them what you will, we see cycles, we see things repeated here. One uh, writer says this in kind of a a definition, um, looking at these Judges and the cycle of patterns here. Here's, Here's what he says. Think of this as we begin to look at Othniel. It says, The events are deliberately arranged so that each judge is presented in a worse light than the previous. Beginning with Othniel, an exemplary character, and ending with Samson, who embodies all that is wrong with Israel. Each cycle is structured after a literary pattern signaled by a series of recurring formulas. We've talked about these before and seen these before, but we can put them in a sequence. I don't have a graphic for you this week, but we can put them in a sequence, and this is not original with me, but these cycles that go on through the book of Judges. We'll call them this. We'll call the cycle one is corruption. We're going to see these in the text, or you've seen it already. There's corruption first in Israel. And then we talked about the consequence of that. There's a consequence that comes for that sin, that disobedience of Israel. There's a consequence, and then there's a crying out. Three C's. Are you catching that? Yeah. So there's a corruption, consequence, they cry out, and then I couldn't keep going. I, I can't go C's from there. Then there is, what's, what happens after the crying? There's deliverance. Now, most will give this four. My study Bible gives those four. I'm just going to tack on there another one. There's death. So there, there's corruption, there's the consequence for it, they cry out, there's deliverance, and then there's this death at the end, and the cycle keeps going. And that's what we're going to see here in our text. But perhaps you might be, along with your preacher up here, tempted to feel just the repetitive nature of this book. Like, haven't we been here before? We know. Yeah, I think you've told us about that before. We know there's a cycle. Israel fails the test. God delivers. Israel fails. To put it simply, God delivers. Today, I just want to nudge you along again as we look at this specific text. Each one has a reason for being in here. There's a, there's a story. There's a, there's a method to the writing here. And what do we see? We see a tragedy of sin, but there's also a tragedy that leads us beyond the timing of this particular event to something greater. I also wonder in here, in these cycles, if in just a very simplistic application way, we see our own, our own week. We're here, we just sang, worthy is the Lamb. And as Hannah and I were talking even this morning, we're, right, we're, we're worshiping and by the time we drive home, we're in an argument or this afternoon or Monday morning and we too lo and behold, find ourselves in a cycle. 
And so we want to examine our text. Let's look at it. Let's look at verses 7 through 11. May these be a launching point to see a greater fulfillment. Look first at verse 7. As the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asherah. Familiar line now, and it'll get familiar. And we're like, we know. Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. What's interesting about this particular, I guess it's two sentences though, is that the next sentence in this verse seems to answer the question of how. How did Israel commit evil? We know they did evil. What did they do? What was, what, what was the evil? If I was just to say the word, hey, think of evil, I don't know what would come to mind in your, in your heads. Maybe you know something like, like mass killings or mass murder. This idea, that was going, that's evil. Like Someone like Hitler or, or that kind, like that's, that's evil. There's this great, great wickedness about somebody. The text seems to answer what the evil was. You see it there in that second sentence? Number one, they forgot the Lord their God. Number two, they served other gods. This is not unfamiliar ground, but I just think it's interesting how it seems like evil is explained here in what they did. I don't know if you've ever thought of forgetfulness as doing evil. You ever thought of it? I'm not talking about when you forget where you put your keys. That's not evil. I'm not going that route or you forget somebody's name. I'm not saying that's evil. But here, it's a Godward forgetfulness. They forget their God. And what we can glean from the text is that God takes forgetfulness seriously. And He sees it as evil. So Israel's evil here was, in part, not remembering the Lord, their God. God was holding them responsible for His commands to them, saying, remember me, don't forget, remember my ways. So simply forgetting God here wasn't an oops, like, oops, sorry, we missed a day, we forgot about you. It's rebellion and and it's evil. And further, the other one, the evil, was worship. They served. The other other word for served, not like they served them, like they they worshipped, served. And so worship of any other one, be it the Baals and Asheroth of Israel's day, or maybe the worship in our day of our own image of me, or men's approval of me, or money, or pleasures apart from God, fill in the blank, worship of anyone or anything apart from the Lord is evil. God says in His law, this one from Deuteronomy 5, you shall have no other gods before Me. Eight words. You shall have no other gods before Me. Don't worship. That's evil. We look maybe at other things as being evil. It is evil to worship something, someone other than the Lord God Almighty. These things may not seem evil, and yet they are. And, and they should cause us to pause, to, to ponder, Lord, the, the depth of my remaining sin is deeper than I thought. And yet its solution is grander than anything here on earth. And so we see once again, there's our big 
C to you, right? Looks right. Corrupted. There's corruption. And now, verse 8, the consequence. Look at verse 8. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he sold them into the hand of Cushan, Rishathayim, king of Mesopotamia. And the people of Israel served Cushan, Rishathayim, eight years. The Lord, again, burns with anger that we've talked about before. God is not okay with sin. And we find God's people sold off to this, this fella named Cushan Rishathayim of Mesopotamia. We're not quite, I mean, we may not study all these places. Where is this? Some of your Bibles might say uh, Aram Naharayim, something like that. From, from my study, it seems like th- these are the, the same places. It seems like this kingdom geographically, Mesopotamia was kind of this, if you can think of where Iraq is, modern-day Iraq or um, eastern Syria, somewhere in that, maybe Iran as, well, as I'll allude to here, somewhere in that area. That's the kingdom to the north and, and uh, east of Israel that has come down into Israel. That Israel was sold to these, this people, this king. As far as this king, this is really interesting. One writer, Alfred Edersheim, I've, I've mentioned him before, he traces the name of Kushan back to some monarchs of Iran, or Iran, where it said of their, of their, their heroes there were described as Kushan, or from the land of Kusatan, or Shusatan. The most notable is Rustan, or Rastam, a name evidently akin to Rishathayim. That's what he's seeing. He's seeing what's interesting here, just to bring it up. There's some historical evidence to say, oh, we see this. We see this in the accounts of these other places, some historical data, even just to, to back up, to give evidence to what we're reading, the, the facts that we're reading here of Scripture. Well, we find that they served this Kushan eight years. I think there's a play on the words here of serving. Verse 7, what were they doing in verse 7? They were serving, weren't they? They served the Baals, the Asheroth. Their wrong worship actually led to serving a foreign nation by verse 8. Israel, they mistakenly thought they would serve and worship and find satisfaction in these gods, these gods of Baal and Asheroth. That's where we're going to find, that's our God. Or mixing him in. We've talked about that. But their feudal thinking actually led them into serving under the hand of the enemy here. Their worship, their wrong worship, purchased slavery for them. Isn't that what sin does in us? When we forget the true God, we go after false gods, whatever they may be. They seem so good, so satisfying. And yet, in the end, we see it has just put us once again into slavery and addiction. The freedom, sin offers a freedom. Do whatever you want. There's no rules. There's no authority. You make the rules. You do your own thing. It's a trap. And one in sin is ensnared and enslaved by sin. And we see that here in the text. They end up serving this, this Kushan. Their corruption led to this consequence. And then we get into verse 9. Verse 9. Just the first part of it. Just the first till the comma. But 
when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. There's a big change in nine. When they cried out to the Lord. And over and over we see this theme in Scripture of crying out to the Lord. One commentator, at least, maybe more, questions. Is this crying out? Is this a, were they really repentant? I, I think he's thinking they were, they were crying out. Maybe there was no repentance. Uh, I can't be sure. Later on, we're going to see this, this crying again in Judges chapter 10. And we're going to see there, this, they're, they're crying out. It goes on to explain in their crying out, there's actually a confession of sin. We have sinned against you. So I'm looking at this, this crying out. And again, hold it loosely. I don't know where you end up on this. It's, I'm just trying to figure out the text. It seems like it, it's shorthand for they were repentant. They desired to turn around. There was a change. Others may say there was no change. God, in His grace, came and delivered them despite their not repentance. That's, there's a good case for that. But here I'm, I'm wondering if there's some shorthand. Either way... At least in my view, there's some confession of sin here. They cry out. So God's grace, God's grace led them from this consequence to confession, if you think of it in those terms. Psalm 18 records about crying out. It says there, the psalmist says, In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From His temple, He heard my voice, and my cry to Him reached his ears. We in Christ have a wonderful promise and a hope that even mankind in utter evil sinfulness, we can cry out to the Lord and He hears His people. But I need to be honest with the text of Psalm 18. There's another portion of Psalm 18. It's verse 41 that says, they, the enemies of the psalmist, they cried for help but there was none to save. They cried to the Lord, but He did not answer them. And so I ask, what's the difference? Wait, some people crying, there's help, some not. I believe the difference is your relationship to the Anointed One of Israel. Not to David, to David's fulfillment, Jesus Christ. If you be in Christ Jesus, God hears that cry in Jesus' name. Jesus intercedes for you. The Spirit groans for you. But if you be apart from Christ, there is none to save. If you be an enemy of Christ, there is no hope. We look to that anointed one, the fulfillment. We cry. We cry because of Jesus and he hears, God hears us. So here, God graciously hears the cry of His own. And by the way, He's going to hear it over and over again. And God then sends a deliverer. Let's read the rest of verse 9. People cried out to the Lord, comma, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the people of Israel who saved them, Othniel the son of Canaz, Caleb's younger brother. You have the word deliverer in your, in your text. The Lord raised up a deliverer. It's the idea of Savior or Defender. It's the it's the Yeshu or the we, we looked at Joshua, right? Uh, God saves Yeshua. That's saving. Same thing. The deliverer. God raised up a a savior, if you will, here to save his people from their distress. Okay, hang on to that thought. That's really key, important. 
And then there's this fellow named Othniel. Not the first time we've seen him. We've seen him before. Um, I lean in the direction Othniel. However, I'm always, I'm always left trying to figure out Othniel. What's his relation to Caleb? Is he Caleb's younger brother or is he... The, the son of Canaz. Canaz is the younger brother of Caleb. You may not have these trials in your head while you look at this, but that's a how do we answer that? You can look it up more on your own. I just go with, I think uh, Othniel is Caleb's nephew, not his direct younger brother, but the, the, the son of Caleb's younger brother, Canaz. We could get into all that, but that would just be time just looking at facts. We can talk about that later. That's who Othniel, regardless. God in His sovereign plan has prepared Othniel to lead. E- even though by this time it, it would seem he is getting older or advanced in years. From, from that time we looked at just, I mean, weeks ago where he was fighting, you know, the people to, to gain his wife, Aksa. Matthew Henry makes this comment on his age, uh, really mattering not, when God had work for him to do. Here's what he says. He says, observe. Observe who the deliverer was. It was Othniel who married Caleb's daughter, one of the old stock that had seen the works of the Lord and had himself, no question, kept his integrity and secretly lamented the apostasy of his people. He's saying not everybody at this time was There was Othniel. He says, but waited for a divine call to appear publicly for the redress of their grievances. He was now, we may suppose, far advanced in years when God raised him up to this honor. But the decays of age were no hindrance to his youthfulness, use, usefulness when God had work for him to do. Let me read that last. The decays of age were no hindrance to his usefulness when God had work for him to do. God preserves his own for such a time as this. Could it be that God is, and he is, raising up for himself here in our midst, here at Bethany, instruments for his glory, leadership of his people one day, Maybe it's you that are young, that you're drawing pictures right now. That God is raising up one day to be leaders here in this place. To grow up, to carry on the torch, to say this is the Word of God and we exalt Christ and we worship Him here. Younger ones. And then to you, advanced in years. That God has a work, a work to do. Could it be that He's raising you up not to just live out those older years going, I guess my ministry is past. Not for Othniel. God had work for him to do. Take courage from this account of Othniel and go boldly as a servant of the Lord being faithful to God in a corrupt, increasingly corrupt world around us. To be faithful of all, no matter what age you are that are hearing this this morning. But then we get to verse 10, and verse 10 can't be separated from the work of Othniel. Look at verse 10 now. The Spirit of the Lord was upon him, and he judged Israel. 
He went out to war. The Lord gave Cushan, Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand, and his hand prevailed over Cushan, Rishathaim. Take note of the Spirit here and then the eventual deliverance of the people. The Spirit comes and old Othniel goes out to war and the Lord's hand through his instrument Othniel prevails. This is not the only instance even in this book where we're going to see the Spirit of the Lord acting. Judges 6, he's going to clothe Gideon. Judges 11, he's going to come upon Jephthah. Uh, Judges 13, he begins to stir Samson. But the clear truth of this passage is that Othniel did not deliver, he did not judge apart from the Spirit of the Lord. The Hebrew word for spirit here is ruach. Kids, I want you feel free, you can say this. Try it out. It's quite fun. Just make that last it's like a it's ruach. Can you try it? Just go for it. Yeah, thank you. Awesome. Now, what does that sound like? Yeah, I know. It, we're a bit far from the Hebrew. It's, it sounds a bit like ruach. Does it sound like wind? That's what it means. It's wind, breeze, breath, ruach. One author, Sinclair Ferguson, he says that when this spirit, this ruach, when he, quote, comes on individuals, they are caught up in the thrust of an alien energy and exercise unusual powers. Yahweh's ruach is, as it were, the blast of God, the irresistible power by which he accomplishes his purposes, whether creative or destructive. By his ruach, he gives power to judge slash saviors like Othniel, and Samson. When God acts, He acts through His Spirit to accomplish His purposes. Othniel had some experience. It would seem he was a follower of Yahweh. Follower of the Lord. Despite, despite the, the whoring of the people around him, it seemed that he was following the Lord. And yet, the clear focus here is on the Lord Himself as Deliverer. The Lord raises the deliverer. God's Spirit is at work. He gives the king. Where is it? He went out to war. The Lord gave the king into his hand. And then the hand of Othniel by the Lord prevails. And so verse 11, at least the first part says, so the land had rest 40 years. There is peace. Calm. The wind had come, and then there's rest. Because the Lord had delivered His people who cried out to Him, and there's 40 years of rest. But we know. We, we know this book, and we know this people. We know our own hearts. The saving, the resting, that ult, it ultimately would not last because it was built upon shaky ground. Shaky ground of Israel's obedience and the shaky ground of a leader who would not live forever. Look at the last sentence of Judges of, of verse 11. You've got the one sentence, so the land had rest 40 years. And then that last sentence, then Othniel, the son of Canaz, died. What an ending to the story. 
like happily ever after. Not, not so much. There's corruption. There's consequence. There's crying out. God raises up. God delivers salvation by the Spirit. And then there's death. Could there be anyone eternally strong to save that would not die? Would there be, could there be a deliverer who could truly save forever? And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this Scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Othniel dies. Human leaders die. Christian leaders die. Pastors Die. Elders die. Jesus lives forever. He lives as our eternal king, our eternal judge, our eternal deliverer, our eternal priest. Hebrews 7 says this, The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But He, that is Jesus, He holds His priesthood permanently because He continues forever. Consequently, He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus offers a rest way beyond 40 years. Eternity. That's the forever deliverer, Jesus. And the Spirit of the Lord, in Christ, this same Spirit that empowered Othniel, now dwells in us. To, to do what? To point us continually to the one Savior, to Jesus Christ. J.I. Packer says of the Spirit, he says, he, he, that is the person of the Spirit, He acts as the, quote, hidden floodlight shining on the Savior. He makes this illustration of a, of a building lit up with floodlights. The floodlights don't call attention to themselves like, look at us. The floodlights shine on the building. He's making the point the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, shines on Jesus Christ and takes us to look to Him. He, Jesus talks about the Spirit glorifying Christ. The Spirit sets us free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. The Spirit is transforming us, 2 Corinthians, into the image of Christ. The Spirit's the seal and guarantee of our inheritance in Christ. And He groans and He intercedes for us while we pray. Othniel then, 
this section, as we look at the repetitive nature of judges and the cycles, gives us a glimpse to look beyond of the true deliverer to come. And the hope we have that the same Spirit who came upon Othniel, fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ, now dwells with us and imparts to us the person and works of Christ, our deliverer into our lives. Jesus breaks the cycle. May we cry out to Him. Let's pray. Lord, we, we need You. We do cry out for where we have wandered and sought after, again, false little gods that we thought would satisfy that in the end made us slaves. Praise the Lord that You, by Your Spirit, have given us new eyes to see You've regenerated our hearts to see You and to see the Savior. Lord, may we read Your Word encouraged that in Christ we can read as people, as a people that can pray to You, that can find hope in You, that are saved by You, You who are the eternal Deliverer of our souls, who always lives, will always live to make intercession for us. Your death, Your atoning death, Your blood, a substitute for us on the cross to pay for our sins. We deserved the death that you took upon yourself. Lord, may we consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Empower us by your Spirit to live for you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Bethany Radio a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.